You're listening to the 10 Bagger Podcast, presented by The Daily Gold. Join us as we uncover tomorrow's 10 baggers today. And now here's your host, Jordan Royburn. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the 10 Bagger Podcast. Well, I apologize for the lack of updates over the last couple months. Uh, I've been on uh, somewhat of a summer sabbatical, but now with summer coming to a close, it's time to uh, get back into it, interview all the experts, and help you find tomorrow's 10 baggers today. And with me, this is the uh, first returning guest we've had on the program his name is Don Durrett. His website is goldstockdata.com. He runs a great subscription service. Uh, you know, if you have to, if I have to describe Don in like one or two sentences for you, I would just say this man is a human encyclopedia when it comes to gold and silver stocks. So that's why you should subscribe to his service. That's also why I'm bringing him on again. Don, it's great to have you back. How are you doing today? Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me back. And, uh, you know, I, I, there's there's a couple things that you want to talk about. So rather than ask a question and lead you down a different road, do you want to start with um, uh, potential 10-baggers and what people should look for or um, kind of where you think we are today? What what angle do you – what road do you want to go down? Yeah, let's go with your first question. Let's focus on, you know, where to look for. Uh, potential 10 baggers, um, how to find them, because I think a lot of people are interested. I mean, in the gold sector, you want to have, you know, significant gains. You know, some people are looking for 100% returns, of course, but there's a lot of people looking for, you know, five and 10 baggers because they see the possibilities. So I, I, I like to focus in that area today, if we could. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, there's different categories of stocks. So we have, for instance, the exploration area. So the exploration area is really the highest risk, but it's also the fastest way to get a 10-bagger. Um, you know, that's Eric Sprott's, you know, that's how his focus. And he's been very successful at it. Um, I think he has, in my database, I've been following everything that he owns. I think it's up to 120 stocks. And uh, over 90% of them are exploration plays. So he basically just, you know, kind of a shotgun approach. He, he, anything that he thinks has, you know, optionality or expiration potentially, he's basically buying. He's been loading up a lot on silver. But it's very, very difficult to have that type of strategy. Um, it's almost, uh, I consider it kind of a lottery pick thing. For me personally, um, there's no way that I'm going to do that strategy. There's too much risk. I'm more of a, I'll do a few optionality, uh, exploration, drill stories, you know, a few, but that's not my focus at all. Um, those are mainly, again, those are kind of for fun. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even thinking I'm going to, I'm going to find, you know, a 10 bagger when I do them. It's just, you know, unbelievable risk in the exploration side. I just want to give everybody a heads up. And the reason why is because it's very, very hard to find a big mine. And the only way you're going to get a 10-bagger is if somebody finds a big mine. Um, now, I know Sprott's probably the best investor going, I mean, the most successful. But his strategy is not easy to emulate. Okay, so the next one is um, uh, is the development area. So development area is 
a long term. So when you, it, it takes a long time to build a mine. So if you're going to um, try to find it, you're, it's a lot of these development stories are really cheap early, early on um, because it's going to take a while to build a mine. And until you get, you know, one or two years away, once you have that path to production, the, the stock really doesn't start, you know, flying. Um, we saw it like with pure gold, pure gold was like a hundred million dollars and that was the time to get in. And now it's a billion, I think, I think maybe 800 million to a billion fully diluted. So there was a 10 bagger in pure gold and they didn't get taken out. But, and, you know, I got, I, you know, that's one that I bought early and I waited. And so, and it's a long wait. You're, you're going to wait two, three, four, five years before you get your 10 bagger. And the risk is that it gets taken over long before they get first pour. So let's say, you know, and there's a lot of dilution during the development cycle. And so you can actually go underwater while you're waiting for it, for it to break out. And then they, they give you a 40% premium, you end up losing money. I don't know how many development stories where I've actually ended up losing money when it was a fantastic investment because I got in early, they diluted, and then they got taken out. So the development is... It's it's high risk long term kind of thing and the, but sometimes you can find a play like Arcana. Um, Arcana is not a ten bagger now, but it it was a month ago. Um, it right now it prints more as a five bagger, but Arcana now is close to production. They're like only a year out, but that was one of those ones where you know two years out and it made a lot of sense. Um, other thing on the development side is it can be um, an optionality story. Um, and so a development can be both a development story or an optionality story or both. I know that's a little bit confusing. So I'll give you an example. So Spanish Mountain, which has jumped, but everything's kind of doubled since like, you know, like March. So option, Spanish Mountain's up to 99 million, but it's still um, a real good optionality play um, because they have high insiders. They would have gotten taken out a long time ago if they didn't. Um, it's probably three to four years out for production. Still, it's still it's still a ways, but it's a four million ounce project. So you're getting that you know that real strong optionality. And what I mean by optionality is that as the gold price goes up, Spanish Mountain goes up, and then as it gets closer to production, it's got that going for it. So it's kind of a combination optionality development story. So there's that, and then just strict, um, and then. Other type of there's some other optionalities out there like Grenada Gold. Um, you know their gold in the ground is just super cheap right now. It's kind of similar to Spanish, similar to Spanish Mountain. And you got Triumph Gold, another one, and then you got Maple Gold. Those are the three that are all good locations. I think I think one's in Alaska, the other two are in Canada. So you have these optionality plays where they they could easily be ten baggers um, if you know, the closer they get to production. So, and they also have the optionality. So it's kind of a, you know, which way will it go? It's a bit of a risk. And the third one is production. Um, and your production plays, um, it has to have some type of a growth story. And a lot of these production stories, um, they might not be, they might not actually print as 10 baggers. They might print as a five bagger. A good example is like Argonaut Gold. So Argonaut Gold prints as a five bagger, but as the price of gold goes higher, Argonaut's a growth story. And so Argonaut can become a 10 bagger. A couple other kind of production stories that, you know, they print as five, but they could be 10. 
It's like Hummingbird Resources. Hummingbird is built. They're going to build another mine, their next mine. Um, so they're a producer, but they're also exploration development. And then you have Minova Corp, um, which is really cheap, and it's a develop producer. Actually, it's a development story as well. And then uh, Treasury Metals in Canada is another one. That's actually a development story, but they're looks like they're going towards production. So it's kind of a it, it doesn't print as a ten bagger, but if you look at its growth story and its exploration story, it has that type of leverage to become a ten bagger. That was a long answer. No, I, I like it. Many examples, <laughs> and you know, people love company names. So I guess one one follow up question. I have a couple, but I'll try and for I'll try and make it one question. Given how the market has moved, has that changed your strategy in looking for ten baggers? In other words, I, I mean, I think we interviewed I don't know eight or nine months ago, and you know I forget what the gold price was. Obviously, it was a lot lower. I mean, we're you know close to we're mid nineteen hundreds now. Big difference from when gold was at you know thirteen fourteen hundred. Um, there's still, I mean, I personally believe over the next one to two years, there's still significant upside in metals prices, particularly gold and silver. Um, but with that said, we've already seen a, a pretty sizable move in the metals. So how going forward, how has that changed your strategy in looking for potential ten baggers, or maybe it hasn't? You tell me. Oh, it absolutely has, and it's a good question. So the first thing that it does is it, it – so you, I'm looking for big returns. Like we're saying, we're looking for 10-baggers or 5-baggers or 10-bagger optionality. Right. This, uh, is the, this is the 10-bagger podcast. No three or four-baggers right. allowed. Right. Only exactly. we're aiming for grand slams, to use a baseball right. analogy. Exactly. Five or higher. So, um, so the first thing that you're going to do as the price of gold goes up is you're going to start eliminating you know, stocks. For instance, uh, Discovery Metals. I mean, I bought it when it was super cheap, and now it's no longer super cheap. It's no longer kind of on the buy list. Some people still like it. Um, Free Gold Ventures is another one. Both of these stocks have gotten really pricey. They're not, you know, they're not five baggers anymore. Um, it, they could. Uh, I don't see how free gold could be a five bagger uh, discount. Um, they're still drilling, so maybe, maybe. But but basically, what you do is you see these stocks that have broken out, and you kind of eliminate them. What I say is that, and I've written that, wrote this in my book, is that one of the things you look for, look for when you're buying a stock is you look at their chart, and if the chart is got, is just broken out, and the thing is sitting at way up at the top, and then you go, wow, look at that thing, and then you look at the market cap. You pretty much know you missed it. It's you know right. it's gone. Uh, can I just cut in for a second, Don? That sure. is such an important point. Even with investing in general, that is such an important point. When you see a stock or two, you know you make that move. It's like a rhino horn where it's just curled and it's going straight up. I mean, it's great if you own it, but if you don't own it and you're on the sidelines, it, it, and like you're saying, if you look at the value, you look at the chart, how much it's moved. Um, it's just you have to pass and look at something else. The other po last point I'd make about that type of move is whenever those stocks peak, I mean, they could consolidate for six to 12 months. It could be dead money for six to 12 months. So you don't, I mean, you sure. have, when, if you're on the sidelines and you miss something like that, you just kind of let it go, let it correct and consolidate, put your money elsewhere. And who knows, maybe in a year or two, Discovery Metals will be at a, a better entry point and, and at a much better value. 
Right. You find the companies, right. You look at the chart to make sure it's a good entry point, basically. So right now, if you look at companies that are comparables to Discovery and Free Gold, is Maple Gold, Triumph Gold, and, well, those two especially. Um, I would throw Grenada Gold in there as well, but Grenada's management team is, you know, <laughs> they've been somewhat lacking, I would say. It's more of a spec, Grenada's more of a spec play, but Maple and Triumph, they're just sitting on really, really good properties, projects, and they haven't, they haven't broken out yet. So it's, and so as, so what happened is that $1,900 gold, um, $25 silver pretty much got investors really interested in some of these other optionality plays, but they haven't been in interested in some of the, some of these, but as gold and silver go higher, these optionality plays eventually that's that gold or silver in the ground gets revalued and eventually that optionality is going to pay off. And usually what happens is once they start trending, um, huge, huge move. A good example is like Abra Plata Silver. Nobody wanted to touch it. I mean, when silver was $18 or $16, especially 15, nobody wanted Abra Plata. It was like under 10, under 10 million. And now it's over a hundred million. So it was a 10 bagger total optionality play. And so you see the same thing can happen um, with silver, even silver today at 27, there's still some optionality plays out there where you can find a, a company that has say 60 or 90 grams per silver in the ground and they haven't gotten any value. So you can look at those and you can still optionality is still there. Depending on your on your what you think the silver price is going to get to, now Eric Sprott thinks that silver is going to get to anywhere from 100 to 150. I think his target's 150 because he just invested 70, 70 or 75 million in First Majestic. Now the only way that that type of investment makes sense for Sprott because Sprott, like you said, no three baggers allowed. I don't think Eric Sprott wants any three baggers. <laughs> so a three bagger for First Majestic. It's like fifty dollars. Still fifty dollars. Is at twelve right now. So he doesn't. He doesn't want it. First majestic at fifty. He wants it at seventy, eighty, ninety. So how do you get? To, how do you get that? Well, hundred dollars silver takes first majestic to around seventy. So he. That's his minimum. I think his minimum expectation is one hundred dollars silver, and it's mine too. And it always has been. And the upper upper half is like you know two hundred dollars silver. Which is, you know, a lot of people think is fantasy land, but I think that um, somewhere between 100 and 200 is is a possibility. So if that's the case, you know, ten baggers really come into play here. So you have the optionality side. You also have to look at the producers, and you have to look at okay, what's going to be the future cash flow at 100? I only value companies at 100 dollars silver, but why not? In, in my Database, you can actually change the default silver to 150, and you can see um, everybody has that. They can change the setting to whatever they want, and they can see what the future value is. For instance, you can right now you can go in there and you can change the default to 150, and and see what First Majestic is going to be valued at down the at, at 150 silver. What is the future market cap going to be? And so you, that's what kind of what you want to do. You want to 
project out into the future, if you're going to try to get a 10 bagger, project out into the future and say, okay, what's this producer going to be worth at 100 silver, 125 silver, 150 silver? And you can do the same thing with gold. And I think we're going to see quite a few 10 baggers myself. Um, I, I t did a t tweeted today a list of 10 baggers, and most of those 10 baggers are kind of high risk 10 baggers. Um, but if, if, if gold and silver goes higher, a lot of these more quality companies that are five baggers are going to be 10 baggers. It's, yeah. It's like, I've said this before in the past. It's like, as long as the management teams like don't do anything really stupid, you know, right. as long, just like, don't mess it up. You're in a good position, but to go back to what you said, and I know this is something that you also focus on, but I think this is an important point to get out there. Um, you know, a hundred silver, hundred dollar silver, you all, you have to, I mean, the timing of that is important because if that takes longer than you think, you know, these companies, if they're not making money, they have to raise money every year. And that's where share structure and cash come into play. I know that you look at those things. Can you just speak about that, Don, and how, um, I mean, a hundred dollars, you have to, a hundred dollar silver, depending on what, I mean, a hundred dollar silver in real terms like if that happens in like seven years versus like two or three years, I mean, th there's a really big difference. Yeah. And the, these are good questions. And these are things as an investor that you definitely need to think about. And I have. Um, and for me, it's I actually look at it kind of the opposite of what you, th you, you just mentioned. So you mentioned that it might take too long for silver to get to 100. I look at it from fact, if let's say that there's a, a development story out there and we're, it's not going to get into production until five, at least five years or six or seven years. This bull market could easily be over in four, you know, four years, three years. So I think we, I think that the bull market just started in silver um, six weeks ago, and that it started and it's going to last somewhere between two and three years. And when the bull market is over. Um, that's when <laughs> basically um, everything's going to start crashing. So you need um, the if you have a development story, you really want it to be uh, under construction. I would say within at least four years. So right. anybody that's thinking that they're going to do a really really long term, I don't really like to go more than five. So once if you're looking at a development story that's like six seven years, I think that's you're adding a lot of risk because you might not get paid off. It's an optionality play then. It's 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 uh it's too long as far as a development right uh, play. I, so I think we're going to see fifty dollars silver in twenty twenty one next year. Last time it took six months for silver to go from eighteen to forty nine. It, it was pretty darn fast. So and it's already been that we're in the third month right now. So. You know, we could see $50 silver in January. I mean, it's possible. But I think it's going to be six to nine months. I've been saying what I think is going to happen is the general markets are going to correct 10 to 20 percent. Um, the highest um, possibility is six, in the next 60 days. If it doesn't do it in the next 60 days, then within the next six months, after that happens, after the correction happens in the stock market, Gold and silver will get hit. The models will get hit, and then you'll see every. Then everything's going to just. I think everything's going to take off. That's going to be 
So I see one, at least one correction coming and then kind of a takeoff. And then that's when silver gets in the 30s. Once it gets into the 30s, there's like nothing's going to stop it to go to the go to 50. And then last time it went to 50, as you well know, Jordan, it didn't stay there. It stayed there like a week. And then it just started falling. So this time I think it goes through 50, like butter, if you will. And we go into like the mid 50s pretty, pretty quickly. And then, and then it's people, because I think that at that point in time, I think the demand for silver is just going to be huge. It's, it's kind of the opposite uh, of most things. Nobody wants silver at $15. Everybody's going to want it at 50 kind of thing. That's my expectation. So if we go to 50 next year, we probably see, you know, in 2022, we probably see 75. That's my expectation. So with, so with that, um, do you think, so if, 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 if that's the expectation, then, I mean, that to me, then I would think based on that, um, that silver producers, I mean, obviously it's great for developers who can build and I mean, it's great for the whole industry period, but in that type of environment, is that better for, um, I mean, is that best for silver producers? By far. Absolutely. That's what I've been telling people. You know, you go, you get the, um, the, exploration development stories early on in the cycle because they're so super cheap and and most of your producers are not super cheap right so when the when the bull market begins those companies that are way behind they kind of catch up which is what we've seen I mean you know look at what discovery metals has done um, you know free gold ventures and and some of these exploration plays have done you know the great bears and the wall bridges those companies have just absolutely exploded in value. Um, but once you get to say, you know, $30 silver and, you know, $2,000 gold, the margins are just unbelievable for your producers. And it only takes one year or two years at the most to clean up their balance sheets. And once their balance sheet is cleaned up, they start, you know, the, the share prices just kind of explode. The, the good example or the best example is probably Kirkland Lake. So Kirkland Lake was trading at $4, and the Fosterville mine started increasing uh, grade and started decreasing cost. Their cost was like $800 uh, for cash cost when they started, somewhere in there, and it went all the way down to under $200. I went all the way down to $150. And so their co as their cost dropped – their cash flow increased and their share price increased. Um, this, that, and that, that same thing is going to happen to the producers, only instead of their costs going down, their profits, their, the, the amount of money they're getting for the gold is going to go up. But it's basically the same scenario. You increase your cash flow, you increase your balance sheet. So Kirkland Lake's debt went to zero and their cash started exploding. And that's what that's the combination that you want to see. And that's going to happen with a lot of my could happen with a lot of miners if we stay in a bull market for like two years. So what's the margins today? They all in cost for a typical um, strong uh, mid tier or major is somewhere around twelve hundred dollars all in. So their margins right now are six to seven hundred dollars. Let's say five to seven hundred. That's a huge margin. 
right now. If you're producing 200,000 ounces plus, that's huge cash flow. Right. And I think, you know, so in that type of move that you're talking about, obviously, I mean, so if we see it in silver and gold, I mean, we talked about the leverage that producers give you. I think it's, I don't want to exclude development companies, but the difference, I mean, it's, look, in general, you you want to look for growth, whether it's exploration or producers, any business, you know, growth is what you want to look for. But when you're in that vertical environment, then it just gets, it's like turbocharged by the vertical rise in the metals price. And then if you can actually grow your business, I mean, it's just amazing. And so I think in addition to, I mean, producers, I think are the, lowest risk, safest way to play that kind of a move. But if you go to the bottom of the food chain and exploration companies, this is a lot more difficult. But for example, if you have a silver company that, you know, they have, I don't know, 50 or 70 million ounces in the ground and, you know, suddenly they have some success and they have 200 or 300 million ounces in the ground. Likewise, if you're a gold, if a gold company has, you know, 1.7 million ounces in the ground, suddenly they go to 5 million. I think those are also the types of situations that can 10 X pretty quickly in that type of environment. But then again, it's a lot easier to, to forecast with the producers than to pick which explorers are going to make that type of move. Right. Exactly. So what we're kind of sharing with the audience is all these different possibilities of getting a 10 bagger, lots of things to look at, Um, especially, you know, a rising gold silver price, that impacts a lot of different companies in different ways. So, um, you know, balance sheets improving for producers, uh, development stories, um, getting more funding, being able to explore more. So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of you know properties out there that haven't really had a lot of money put into them. They're already two million, you know, one to two million, and the price of gold silver goes up, and then suddenly they're they're flush with cash. And they're able to um, ex- do exploration. That becomes a ten bagger opportunity there. And then what you mentioned, um, you know, these explorations, gold, silver in the ground, and they're just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, lots, lots of different ways for companies to have ten bagger potential. So you have to, you know, kind of look at it from a lot of different angles, if you will, not just one way. And, and that's the way I've always done it. I mean, you. you I don't focus, you know, only on one category. I always, I always have, you know, kind of irons in the fire for the whole, the whole gamut, you know, all the way from early exploration, late exploration, early development, late development, et cetera. I, I, I like to, to do the whole thing. And, you know, Eric Sprott, he likes to do, you know, primary exploration plays. I like to do the whole thing. Um, some people like to focus on, you know, 25, 30 stocks. Um, and, and I think that's the best way to make money, but you have to trade. If you're going to do 25 and 30, if you're if you're going to ignore, you know, so all these other quality companies, you're only going to do 25 or 30. You got to trade. That's that's the only way. So um, you're going to have big positions in in, in, in a lot of those uh, stocks, and you're going to need to trade them. You're going to need to sell sell some, add positions. That's the only way you can. Uh, I think you can do that. And I was never comfortable being a trader. So I, I just like to have a full, you know, full cover the whole thing, but, but look for five and 10 baggers. That's my focus. Right. 
Now, before we close with like a couple names, I mean, you've given a lot of names. But before you give a couple names, is there anything else you want to touch on that we haven't covered? Um, uh, I, I think, I think I, I, I don't I covered everything. There was one thing I wanted to talk about. You said give a couple names, so I'm going to answer that question and <laughs> your other one simultaneously. Feel free. So there, so there's a company out there called 19 and 11 Gold, and management, um, they're only getting valued at $25 million, So basically, and it's it, it was $10 million, and I bought it at $10 million right out of the gate because they, had, they owned the True North mine in Manitoba. It's a 1.2 million ounce, five plus gram per ton uh, mine. It was mining 70,000 ounces when it was put on care and maintenance. Um, and it was valued at $1 billion by Sandgold back in 2011. And I submit that the market, that the mine itself, the only the reason why it shut down was because of high high cost. And in other words, it would shut down at a high cost. In other words, if gold was at 1900 it wouldn't have shut down. It would have kept mining. And they just did a company presentation and didn't even mention uh, the resource that – they mentioned the mine, but they said it was on, you know, that they had a mill, but they didn't mention the 1.2 million in the company presentation. And invest, and and basically all they're talking about is exploration. They basically say we have fantastic exploration, but me, um, I'm looking at the comp- I'm looking at as an optionality play for the True North mine itself as a ten bagger. So, for instance, if it's worth one billion dollars. In 2011, at $1,900 gold, what's it worth at $2,200 or $2,300 gold? Um, they can. There's no reason why they can't. Uh, I don't know how much it's going to cost them, but they don't. They they think that it's not economic at $1,900 gold, which I have my doubts. Um, but at $2,200, $2,300 gold, I think they they have no choice but to put it in production. Because unless they get fabulous drill results and the thing runs to 100 million, um, they're they're not going to be valued anywhere close to what, say, a 50,000 ounce producer in Canada is going to be worth. So in my opinion, a 50,000 ounce producer in Canada, 2200, 2300 dollars gold is going to be worth about 500 million dollars. Um, so how long can they? Um, stick with this um, exploration strategy and ignore uh, the cash flow potential of the the True North mine. So I think it's a good optionality play for the the gold in the ground, if you will, even though management is ignoring it. So I'm interested in that. The other um, stocks that I think look good here for 10 baggers, one is gold and minerals. They're going to go into production. Um, gold and minerals has been a nightmare for investors, and a lot of people are kind of you know down on their management. I mean, it, it, it just it just crashed. I think it's down. Even it, it's valued today at 83 million, but as an investor, if you look at the high, it's really really crashed. So anyway, they're going to be a producer, a gold producer uh, next year, which is going to give them enough cash flow to pay for the CapEx to put their flagship property, Valardina, back into production. And I think that Valardina is probably, I think, worth um, at current prices. I think when they get Valardina in production, it's probably a five-bagger. 
But then they have another property, El Cavar, that I think is going to add another million ounces. So between uh, those two, I think it's at least three million ounce producers. So Golden Minerals looks pretty good right now. Um, one one um, so, uh, the silver play that I like is Aftermath Silver. It's jumped. It's up to $80 million market cap. But they just so – SSR Mining keeps giving companies away these really good projects. So, I mean, you got Silver One, which – I'm not saying Silver One's a 10-bagger, but that was a, a big silver mine that SSR Mining gave away. They gave another one. I can't – oh, they oh Abraplata. Abraplata was it came from SSR Mining. And now you have uh, Berengala, which silver they just gave this out to Aftermath Silver. So they keep making these, you know, these unbelievably big uh, mines, uh, giving them away. So Berengala is 125 million ounces, but it's low grade, about 110. But um, so those three, I want to mention those three as potential 10 baggers. Okay, on that note, Don, uh, before I let you go, uh, please give out your website. Tell people how they can subscribe. Okay, so it's uh, goldstockdata.com. Um, if, you, if you've never uh, been a member or you've never tried my site, uh, go to the contact, send me an email, and I'll give you a two-week free trial. Well, it's, uh, it's $149 a year, which people think is a really good bargain. I tend to agree. It definitely is. It pales in comparison to how much money you can potentially make with some of these potential 10-baggers. Yep. On that note, uh, Don, I thank you so much for coming back on the show and uh, look forward to having you back a third time uh, over the months ahead, and we'll, uh, we'll definitely chat again. Awesome. Good show. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the 10 Bagger Podcast, presented by The Daily Gold. For premium coverage of precious metals and the best junior mining companies, visit thedailygold.com forward slash premium.